0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: 2016 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, and this is where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peacock, and if you have gone over to visit the blog at DontLetItGo.com, or maybe you've seen the posts on social media, the title for today's show is Libertarians. Opioids, Voters, and Endorsements, and you might wonder what opioids are doing in there with all of the other uh, election-related terms, right? You think this is a show about election 2016, but the kind of uh, of out-of-place nature of that in the title is deliberate because Opioids has sort of inserted themselves in my life this week again. um, Those of you who are familiar with the show, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that I talked about opioids back in April when Prince died of an accidental opioid overdose. And I really didn't know a whole lot about it. I had some personal experience that I was sharing at the time and, of course, dismayed that we lost somebody who was so talented. Uh, This week, the problem hit a bit closer to home because a friend of a friend died of an accidental opioid overdose this past weekend, and this was a, uh, I think, 30-year-old, I think that's how old she was, woman, and she was young, talented, attractive, could have been a model, intelligent, intelligent. And could have had a whole life ahead of her and got messed up with these drugs. She had been troubled, but I think if she had not gotten tangled up with these drugs, she might have been able to pull through. Um, so it, it's quite sad. She has now, you know, missed out on a chance at life, uh, a great career, a relationship with a great guy. And... Um, All of it is gone. Somewhere across the world today, they're having a funeral for her and it is quite tragic. So um, the other thing that coincidentally this week, I I follow the FBI on Twitter and um, it happens to be, according to the FBI, Prescription Opioid and Heroin Overdose Awareness Week, right? Government Awareness Week is kind of annoying. Uh, They did put out, a documentary FBI put out a documentary and if you can get beyond the intro from Comey I think it's a worthwhile documentary to watch it doesn't tell the full story I'm going to add a few things that I learned from a friend of mine who is a a child psychologist in a minute but the documentary is called chasing the dragon the life of an opiate addict there's opioid and opiate the two terms are used I guess somewhat interchangeably um It's definitely worthwhile. It's people talking about their own experiences, the experiences of loved ones who have been addicted to these drugs. It talks about how so many people who start with opioids end up transitioning to heroin. And then, of course, the dangers of heroin abuse, some things that I didn't really know happened. Um, The way that the documentary is put together you know, then at the end you end up hearing the stories, what happens to the people that they've interviewed during the course of making this documentary. So that's very effective as well. So I, I do recommend watching that. It's about 50 minutes or so, but keep in mind also that there are some things that, although you learn it in you know the documentary, it's, 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 an, it's incomplete picture. And how is it incomplete? Well, one of the things that my friend told me, uh, the one who's this child psychologist, she said that a few years ago, FDA in the United States was instrumental in forcing the opioid producers, you know, the, the drug manufacturers to change the formulation of the drugs because they didn't want people to be able to crush the pills and then smoke them or do whatever other things they do in order to deliver them in a way that gives them a a better high, right? Because these are drugs that people build tolerances to and so then they take more and more and more. So when the FDA did this, made it harder to, you know, actually deliver the drugs quickly and in large quantity, then people started switching to heroin even more in the FBI documentary what they say is that the reason people shift to heroin is just because of the price, you know, that the prescription opioids are so expensive. In part, the uh, they became more expensive after the reformulation as well. So that's a, a whole other factor. But what we have here is a situation in which the government was trying to intervene in order to solve a problem. The problem being the abuse and addiction of these opioid prescription drugs and what they ended up doing of course is making it worse which is the case of so much government intervention uh, when people get on heroin you'll see this if you watch the documentary and again I, I was unaware of a lot of any of this some people say prudish or whatever um, with heroin they cut it sometimes the heroin that you buy out there of course it's all illegal Um, You don't know what you're getting. They cut it with meat tenderizer. And if people inject meat tenderizer, then yeah, maybe you get the high if there's enough heroin in it or whatever, but they also would get these huge divots in their skin. So you see some of the people who are being interviewed on the documentary and you see these huge divots in their arms and everything else. And I say plural divots, right? Because even though, when they inject this, it, you know, and they see that this is the result and that this is what happens if they're going to continue to do this, they continue to do it because they're so addicted and they're searching for that high. It is, it's truly tragic. Um, what else, what else did, did, they miss out on? I mean, there's a number of kids now who are addicted to these uh, there's, Oh, then the other issue is this issue of prison, right? People are sent to prison for abuse of drugs like this these days And in some other countries now They are experimenting with the idea of Whenever there's drug abuse um, There is not any prison sentence uh, They, you know, the government interacts with addicts In a non-judgmental way But what the government does do in these countries I believe Argentina is one, but I'm not sure And you'd have to fact check that Um What they do instead is they force people into therapy if they discover a certain amount of drugs on them. And apparently this idea of instead having them go into therapy versus going to prison has been so successful that there's very little problem with addiction in these countries. Now, what modality of therapy is actually successful versus not and everything else is is another story. But in our country, what do we have? We have... The drugs are illegal. The government is throwing people in prison simply for being involved in drugs, and it's not effective. I mean, you can see, like I say, the stories of of some of the people on the FBI's own documentary. Uh, We have for-profit prisons, which tend to encourage the continuation of this you know, regime where the drugs are illegal. Everybody says, oh, you know, Gary Johnson's so crazy. But if we were to legalize the drugs and even, you know, I don't believe government necessarily should be in charge of therapy. You shouldn't, you know, force people to go into therapy and everything else. But that's apparently a lot more effective at curing the problem than forcing people into prison. So, you know, what do we have in our country? We have going to prison, which apparently is not effective, probably makes the problem worse. And I'll talk about why in a second. And at the same time, then when they see there's that problem with all the addiction and the abuse, the FDA thinks that they're going to be so clever and get them to change the formulations. And that just shoots, shoots Freudian slip that just pushes people more quickly into heroin. So it's, it is a mess. It's really tragic. And, um, the the last thing I was going to tell you that I, I had learned from my friend was that they did a study on rats and some of the initial studies that they would do on rats would be, they'd offer, um, you know, water that's just water and then they'd have the drug laced water with heroin or opioids or whatever. And the rats would consistently just, you know, drink the drug laced water until they died. Right. Um, the high is so good, but it turns out that if you give the rats not just some little depressing cage to live in, but instead you give them a rat paradise, as, as my friend put it, um, then even if you offer the drug-laced water or whatever to the rats and also alongside the healthy water, that the rats only occasionally went for the drug-laced water And in fact, they went about and they reproduced and they did their little rat activities, whatever other things it is that the rats would do. And they actually did not get addicted or abuse the drugs. And so that they're starting to see that perhaps addiction is more a function of people not necessarily living a happy life. Now, in the FBI documentary, they talk about kids who are given everything they want and why, you know, they have no reason. It could be that kids who are given everything that they want are not living fulfilling lives. You know, I'm not a psychologist, so you'd have to go and talk to a psychologist to, to figure this out. But the indications are not necessarily that it's just a total uh, crapshoot. You know, that it's, it's people who are troubled for a variety of reasons that might turn to these drugs and, and get addicted. Uh, What can I tell you from myself? I would urge people to watch the documentary. I would urge people to be very careful with these opioid drugs. I had talked about my own experience last year uh, being, you know, pumped full of some of this opioid stuff uh, when I was in the hospital for my kidney surgery. And for me, I mean, my personal attitude towards drugs is probably way extreme the other way. I'll sit there and suffer in pain before I take some of these drugs. And that's not a great way to be either, right? Because you know, if you sit there for hours and hours writhing in pain, this is unhealthy for you. So good to have a nice balanced approach to this. You take these for what they are for, which is the pain that they uniquely can uh, alleviate. And then you know if you sense that you're starting to have any issue, get help really early. Uh, If you have a prescription for these, I would suggest, you know, not giving them to anybody else unless you know that that person is really just taking it for, you know, a pain issue and not, you know, that they don't have any problems with it. But I think it's very hard to know what anybody else's, uh, you know, situation with, with drugs is, whether they have their use under control and everything else. It's a very difficult judgment call to make. So, you know... If you have your old bottles and stuff, they tell you how to dispose of them properly and stuff. There are proper ways to do that Um, and and to make it so that if people dig through your trash that they're not going to get the drugs and and stuff too, which you would want to prevent. So that's my, I guess what you would call a public service announcement for the week. And um, what do we got over here in the chat room? Yeah, people are saying how Sorry, they are to hear about this. Um, Yeah, it's terrible what happened. Yeah. Um, Corey says, been there. Uh, Tim says, I'll take drugs for a paper cut. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, everybody's got their own sort of approach to drugs. And, you know, there's, there's people who think that there's a pill for everything. And then there's people like me. I had a mother who was an alcoholic, and I think that's probably the reason that I avoid it so much, even though I've never myself even shown any close tendency to it. Um, Jay says, I laugh now, but we didn't have a medicine cabinet. We had a med- medicine closet. He says, I went the other way. I take nothing for anything. You know, it's, it's Again, it's, most of the times I meet people at one extreme or the other, Um, and it's hard to, I think, have that fine balance, but I, you know, I'm convinced that there must be a way to, to use these uh, appropriately. I I don't think I ever take enough, but then there's other people who, you know, who end up taking too much. Herman in the chat room says people actually feel pain in differing degrees though, physiologically. Yeah, it was interesting because I've got a fairly small build. So my surgeon has said, oh, well, you're tiny, so you're going to have a lot of pain, and the translation for him, which I should have known that he was going to do this, is he prescribed me a whole bunch of painkillers in the hospital, and I just can't take those painkillers. I didn't react well to them at all, and I got the sense that they were making it harder for me to breathe than it already was, because they had kind of filled up my abdomen with air during the surgery, so it was a horrible, horrible sensation for me, and It was good that there was a nurse who was helping me get off them because I was not only not feeling good, but I was under the influence of these drugs, so I wasn't able to think super clearly. So, yeah, luckily I had a a great nurse who said, get you off those, get you up and walking around, and then quickly I got better. I mean, within a day, I was like a different person uh, after uh, finally getting off those and getting up and around. Selfishness in the chat room says aspirin, the miracle, miracle drug. Yeah, I go let's let's go back to aspirin. I mean, there's got to be some other things too. I am no expert on painkillers. And like I said, I just got a crash course education in, in what goes on with these this week uh, only because, you know, something hit a little bit closer to home. But the number of people that we lose to the abuse of, of these drugs, people think it's a prescription drug. Therefore, and it, you know, in some places, it's actually some of these are offered over the counter in some places in the world, too. And it's, uh, for some, it's a lot bigger deal than you think in it, and it can have a really tragic outcome. I do have a link over at don't let it If you want to go back and revisit the Prince Earth Day and reconsidering hope, I don't think I had anything super valuable to say about opioids in that show. I, the hope stuff I I still really like, and I'll probably revisit that topic at some point, but okay. So that's out of order, out of order because opioids was out of place in terms of what I would have wanted to discuss this week, but um, it was important, I think, to just kind of put that out there. And hopefully if anything that I put out there can help one person, that's That is gratifying. So um, do spread the word if there's anybody, you know, that, you know, might be in danger of this and just, you know, kind of tuck it away in the back of your mind for later as well. Okay, deep breath. Let's go on. We're going to talk about the whole debate that's going on right now about whether you should vote libertarian as a protest vote in this week's election. I did not live tweet the debate this week. I posted some live comments on the debate on Facebook. little scattershot here and there. I was a bit distracted during the debate. But, um, you know, you could see that the debate was fairly disastrous. There wasn't a whole lot of substance going on back and forth. I was convinced by one Facebook friend that a topic that I thought was completely worthless to bring up it may, may have actually been worthwhile to bring up. It was that whole birther episode with Trump. And Trump's epistemology, you know, his method, if he has a method of gaining knowledge, which, you know, again, has come under scrutiny this week, it, obviously that should be an issue in the debate. But so should Hillary's. And what is true is that you saw that the debate moderator, Hunt is, is his name, that he was heavily biased against Trump in asking those sorts of questions and he should have asked a lot more pointed questions to Hillary. One question suggested by a Facebook friend of mine had to do with the fact that under oath Comey had said that Hillary Clinton actually lied about her handling of classified information and ask her to comment on that, right? That would have been a very valuable question to ask. Every bit is valuable, if not more, maybe than the birther question. But you know, we can reasonable people can differ about this. There's been a lot of debate. You know, which is worse, Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump? And are you you going to vote of the lesser, you know, for the lesser of two evils, et cetera? There are people who are saying no, none of the above. I'm thinking of actually voting for Gary Johnson, and you know, maybe some of you are in that boat. Let, we're going to talk about the debate amongst subjectivists this week, and I'll ask you to weigh in. You can weigh in here in the chat room, or you can also weigh in by calling in. That would be awesome if you want to talk about it, 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. It occurs to me that I should give people also the chance if they want to call in and talk about The opioid issue Um, could could get a little bit depressing if people wanted to talk about that. But um, I actually election is depressing, too. So whatever. Call in and talk about either of those. Uh, Now, Jay in the chat room about this protest vote. He says, if I protest vote, it will be on principle, which the Libertarian Party just doesn't have. He says, I'll write in Mark Pellegrino, Joe Sanders or abstain. He says there's an ever shrinking window. For Trump to come back in. Yeah, the thing I was going to mention about Trump is that there was one article, and I didn't put it in the program notes. I had only so much time to put these together. And I actually didn't think about it when I was putting together the notes. Um, Trump was, uh, they were talking about how he was preparing for the debate. And that a lot of people were trying to give him a lot of tips and coach him and say, okay, here's the question you should be prepared for. And this is the type of answer you should give. And they were describing him as distracted, like his mind would wander. He have a short attention span. He just wasn't that interested in doing the serious hardcore prep. And when you watched his performance, it showed. And, you know, what, what do you Get away from, you know, come away with from that debate. I mean, first of all, of course, the media is hopelessly biased in favor of Hillary. But also, all she really had to do was show up, look presidential and competent and look healthy. And she did all those things. So essentially, she ends up winning. Uh, Tim says the Libertarian Party doesn't deserve any prominence due to a vote for Johnson. Yes, this is one of the issues that I want to talk about this Uh, Jill Stein is a whacked-out environmentalist in many ways, says Stuart. He says, but I think she was right when she said a protest vote is voting for Hillary because you fear Trump and vice versa.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, that would be a protest vote as well. Definitely, definitely. Uh, Jay said he did really well for the first 30 to 45 minutes, talking about Trump, and then he just fell apart. I guess I'd have to go back and, and look again but what are you left with? You're left with the impression that there's, there's nothing there. So let's go ahead and look at the reasons either not to vote Libertarian or the reasons that people say, well, even though there are some reasons not to vote Libertarian, I'm going to go ahead and vote Libertarian anyway. And again, I want to hear what you guys think of this ongoing debate. I think I've got Stuart here calling in if I've got it right from the area code. Why don't I go ahead and grab the call? Stuart, is that you?
2: Yes, it is. Aloha.
1: Aloha. Welcome to the show, Stuart.
2: Hi. Um, so, yeah, so I guess you see on Twitter, I have the huge Let Gary Debate banner around my picture. So I, I don't agree with Gary on everything, but I am very much for him. And I understand that people think are worried that voting for Gary Johnson because he's running on the the Libertarian ticket might be sort of enabling or reinforcing the anarchist tendencies in the Libertarian Party. But my contention is that supporting Gary actually undermines the influence of the anarchists in the Libertarian Party.
1: Right, in the sense that they've never been able to get any traction before when they actually had a candidate that more reflected that platform – And now when they have Gary Johnson, who arguably is the least anarchist libertarian ever, even if you call him, could you even call him a libertarian? A lot of people say he's not even libertarian. Uh, Then it's, I don't think it reinforces that tendency necessarily, right? Um, Another thing that we want to look at, too, when now we're starting to see the endorsements, I'm going to talk about endorsements later in the show, is, you know, the reasons for the endorsement. Seem to have absolutely nothing to do with anything you know, remotely anarchist, right?
2: Right, and I mean the libertarians – I mean the anarchists in the party were very explicit about this. Back in 2012, um, when Gary said he was going to run, the anarchist Rothbardians, especially Roger Lee Wright and Mary Ruart, said they're very, they're very worried about this. They're worried he's going to undermine the influence of the anarchists. So they ran against him, and they lost. And I was very, and you notice that Lou Rockwell of the Mises of the Institute, who is sort of the bearer of the anarchists, you know, he keeps backing Ron Paul. He wants Ron Paul to be the face of the libertarian movement because Ron Paul is in the camp of the Mises Institute anarchists. And they're very, they are very, feel very threatened by Gary Johnson because he's not a Rockbardian anarchist and he's no right. more influenced by the Cato Institute.
1: Right, right, and, and you know, I think, you know, and I, I went and actually I forgot to review my notes that I had taken from this lecture during the summer, and I don't think this lecture is yet out available on YouTube, but there was a talk given, and actually I'm getting confused now because I don't know if it was a talk or just a Q and a and this is the one where Yaron was there, but at the Objectivist Conference, there were some remarks made by Ankar Gatte about the libertarian movement and sort of, you know, the Ayn Rand Institute's attitude toward associating for limited purposes with libertarian organizations on certain things and stuff. And one of the things he talked about was, whereas you used to say that really the core of libertarianism was anarchism, right? Not so much now that, you know, to, to say, for someone to say that they're a libertarian is, you know, more often Not necessarily more often than not But, you know, substantially A substantial amount of the time That they are not anarchists, right They're, They believe in limited government They're still unprincipled, right So that could, that's a, a big problem But are they actually anarchists? Maybe, maybe not But let me, let me ask you this question, Stuart So have you, you've read Peter Schwartz's post on the H.B. letter that I linked to on the blog?
2: Yes, and I also read um, you know, his earlier essay, Libertarianism, the Perversion of Liberty, including the longer version that was in Intellectual Activist. I ordered that, and I read the whole thing. And I think it describes the movement from the 1970s and even the 1980s. But I think if Gary Johnson becomes the face of the libertarian movement, we can get away from that.
1: Definitely, definitely. Um, now in Peter Schwartz's recent post, which is the one that people have been talking about this week, it was posted on September 27th. He talks about the fact that the libertarian party as reflected through its platform really does stand at root for anarchy still. And he gives some examples, um, you know, so for example, on the libertarian platform, it says we oppose all laws at any level of government restricting, registering or monitoring the ownership, manufacture or transfer of firearms or ammunition, end quote. I actually didn't know that was in the libertarian platform. It's it's very strong, uh, stronger than I would have anticipated for them. But, you know, it, it definitely does sound anarchist. And I would definitely disagree with this because I do think that there should be some restrictions. Right. You know, that this idea that we need a you know a gun to use in self-defense as defined by law uh, that that yes, there are limits implied with that. So that's one part of the platform they say that you know shows you that it fundamentally they're still anarchist. Uh, other element of the platform, the common law right of juries to judge not only the facts but the justice of the law, so the whole jury nullification. Issue And then finally, um, international affairs, when they talk about foreign policy and, you know, that they are at best, you'd say, okay, they are skeptical of intervention, but at worst, they want to say, you know, that the Libertarian Party is so non-interventionist that it leads towards the idea of anarchy on the international stage, right? Um, What do you think of that? I mean, do you think that these platform planks? are important enough for you to take from that, that the Libertarian Party still stands for anarchy?
2: Well, I mean, I think, Gary, Gary, that can change because Gary and especially Bill Weld contradict that platform, especially with respect to, they say, people who have, suffer from severe mental illnesses you know, should have background checks. In fact, sometimes, sometimes I, I, I side with the, the, the platform over Bill Weld sometimes. And um I think that can be subject to change because a few years ago they did uh the Libertarian Party did, you know, at their convention they did say we have to reform the platform. They even almost got rid of the non initiation of force principle, which is one of the few things I think they should should keep. So I think this is subject to change and if we get more people like Gary in the party, you know, the the you know the, the worst parts can be changed.
1: Now, that, I mean, that is one separate issue, right? So so you would say that, yes, maybe there is this kind of anarchist core to the Libertarian Party as demonstrated through its platform? Is, is that the answer that I'm getting from you? So yes, maybe, well, but it could change under the leadership of a Gary Johnson, Bill Weld.
2: It might not be the core anymore. The element is still there because the five um, – Leading candidates for the Libertarian Party, you know, nomination. There was Gary, there was Austin Pearson, and there was the famous entrepreneur John McAfee, mm-hmm. and those were the three front runners. None of them were anarchists, and I was very right. pleased. I thought that improved, you know, that's a lot of progress. And the fourth and fifth one were Dr. Mark Feldman, who, you know, unfortunately he passed away not long after the nomination, and Daryl mm-hmm. Perry. And Mark Feldman and Daryl Perry were conventional Rothbardian anarchists. man. You know, okay. Daryl Perry even wants a writing campaign. He's telling people to write in because Gary is so impure. So he wants people <laughs> to write him in because he's the purest anarchist. So there's still that element, but I right. think their, their influence is fading, and I think that's a good sign. Although, I mean, I have my own problems with the Milton Friedman-type utilitarians from the Keel Institute and the Reason Foundation, I have my own disagreements with them too. But I think this is an improvement because I think there's a big difference between Gary and Ron Paul and the anarchists. Ron Paul and the anarchists are very stubborn. You know, they have their own party line. They say, you have to be against patents. Patents are evil. You know, all all military is evil and all that. And they're so, you know, and they're so stubborn. You can't argue with them because you know from the outset they're right and you're wrong and that's that. And, I disagree with Gary and the recent foundation on many things, but I think they're more willing to argue, you know, Gary can change his mind. Um, Back in 2012, he sounded, you know, he had a more conventional Akbarian attitude on foreign policy. And he said, you know, don't criticize Islam or any of that, you know, but people talked to him about that. And last year he started saying, you know what, I am Sharia phobic. He He said, I do, I am a, I do think there's a problem. There is an effort to impose Sharia on the United States, and I am against that. So he's, you know, he shifted, so he can change his mind.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and again, if you're talking about the, you know, epistemic, you know, knowledge-gathering methodology of a candidate being important, then watching you know, someone like Gary Johnson be able to change his mind in the face of evidence is a wonderful thing. I don't think we would see that from either Trump or Hillary Clinton. So if you go based on epistemological method uh, and a bunch of other things, then, you know, you, you've got him as the best candidate. I don't think anybody would disagree, right? I don't think any, I don't think Peter Schwartz at all would disagree. In fact, I think he said, he says he's sympathetic with people who want to cast, the vote for Johnson-Weld as the protest vote. Um, let me see what he says here. I, I think I remember him saying that, uh, you know, he's he's sympathetic with the idea that you, you know, want to vote for anybody but these two. Um, but he says no. There's no way that he can do it. Yeah. He says given the major ca- uh, party candidates, the major party candidates in this election. I'm sympathetic to the desire to cast some sort of protest vote. But then he is equating casting the protest vote for the libertarian, uh, casting the vote for the socialist workers party, uh, you know, because it opposes government bailouts of big business or the Christian Liberty party, because it wants to end all government welfare programs or something like that. So he's saying, don't vote for the libertarian candidate. You are going to be like you were saying earlier, Stuart, reinforcing the anarchist wing of the libertarian party by doing so. so but so you know the, the two questions. One is, is there this anarchist core to the libertarian party? And I think our discussion is yielding the idea that, well, maybe the libertarian party today, even though there are these things in the platform that still hearken to that sort of approach, Nonetheless, there's a lot of mixed signals. It doesn't seem that the Libertarian Party, even in and of itself, is, you know, at core anarchist. that there's a, a flux going on right now. And perhaps the heart of the Libertarian Party is up for grabs. And, you know, certainly maybe you wouldn't take success of Johnson Weld candidacy as reinforcement for the anarchist wing of the Libertarian Party. You'd actually take it as a reinforcement for the limited government wing. The next question, though, to ask, and and Stuart, if I keep you on and, and you want to talk about this a little, the next question is, why would it be that simply voting for Johnson Weld should be seen as reinforcement for the Libertarian Party? Do you think that if people are casting a vote for Johnson Well because they don't like either of the other two options, that suddenly that means that they're embracing the Libertarian Party and whatever we're going to say the is at the root of their platform.
2: Um, well, I I don't think that just voting for him necessarily means joining the party or anything, but I I guess in a way if people if other people, people if people vote for Gary Johnson they might say. I'm guessing I'm doing. I'm doing look at the rest of libertarianism and see what they have to say, and you know, and become Facebook friends with lots of people from the Libertarian Party. And I guess the Libertarian Party can gain influence that way. But you know, I think that a lot of the people in the party are not, um, you know, the hardcore anarchist Rothbardians. You know, they're more like conservatives who are who they're sort of like conservatives, but they're tired of the whole. You know, religious right thing, and they're very especially concerned about this whole, you know, fear of Mexicans that seems to have taken over. So, so I, right. I'm not, so I'm not too worried about. Um, so even if people join the Libertarian Party, I don't. I'm not worried about them being brainwashed by the Rothbardian anarchists because the Rothbardian anarchist interpretation is they had their own club here, and it was great. Even though they never won, they were they were pure. And now there's this hostile takeover. You know, Gary Johnson is like this corporate raider. He's like, you know, he's like T Boone Pickens or Carl Icahn, being this corporate raider, this interloper coming in and taking over and imposing his non-anarchy on them. And I think it's, their interpretation is It's so is funny
1: to you know to think of. Gary Johnson as engaging in a quote, hostile takeover of anything, you know, he's just so mild and nice. And if anything, you want him to get a little bit more uh, oomph to, to his delivery of anything, right? You just want him to, you know, he's obviously a very tenacious person. He's got to be a strong person to have done so much of what he's done in his life. But he just comes across as as so mild and congenial, and the you know the idea that they're trying to paint him as some sort of you know it's some sort of like hostile corporate takeover or something it, it's it's kind of laughable actually. Oh.
2: Um, well, he seems a proxy. He seems a proxy for that because there's this culture clash, where you know Mises Institute is located in Auburn, Alabama, and they're they're very and you know they, they like to say Abraham Lincoln was the villain of the Civil War and the Confederates mm. were the had the moral high ground and all that. And they, they think that the K.O.s, they don't like the D.C. think tanks. They call them the Beltway Libertarians or the Kochtopus, you know, controlled by the Koch brothers. So they, they don't like the Reason Foundation or the Competitive Enterprise Institute or the K.O. Institute. You know, they see them as corporate sellouts, sellouts to globalization, sellouts to the WTO. You know, they, they think they're so cosmopolitan and everything. And right. they, they want to be respectable and not anarchists. Yeah, because they
1: they actually believe that government is a necessary good as opposed to, you know, at best a necessary evil, but actually an unnecessary evil in the eyes of the anarchists. I'm actually going to end up tackling this issue of anarchy and the arguments for it head on in the seminar that I'm going to be teaching in the spring called Libertarian Theories of the Law. So that's going to be interesting for me to take a deep dive into that stuff because I have not— taken a very deep dive into any of that before so i'll be interested but let's, oh,
2: oh, oh, so let's, let's go i'm sorry I, well i'm sorry i apologize um it's okay if i advertise something for you okay <laughs> so um i wrote an essay on my blog called violence cannot be privatized you know and i say that they, they say well we should have competing governments well private defense agencies because competition is important business competition is important it Makes everything right efficient. But what they don't understand is that due process there is no freedom unless due pro- we have due process, and due right. process has to be universal. The more ubiquitous it is, we have more freedom. And if people, if households, can choose to reject, you know, due process, if they can purchase protection from the agency that rejects due process, they are not advancing freedom. So I'm curious about your thoughts on that. May I send that to you?
1: Oh, yeah, please do send it to me, whichever way, um, sometimes we message on, on Twitter, I know, whichever way, that sounds very good. I'd like to take a look at that, especially as I'm going to be preparing for that seminar, get those arguments going. Um, but, yeah, so back to the point here with this issue of voting for Gary Johnson and what it's taken to mean, um, you know, here, here's the issue. You know, First of all, we could have a dispute about whether in today's you know election cycle this 2016 election cycle voting for gary johnson is going to help the libertarian party i would tend to say no that you know i if i'm voting if i was going to vote for gary johnson everybody would know i've been announcing it on my show that it would not be an endorsement of the libertarian party i'm not joining the libertarian party i reject the anarchist root of the libertarian party And I suspect that most people who would cross over and vote for Gary Johnson are the same. And one thing that I've talked about before and that others have mentioned as well is that these candidates are running often as the ex-Republican governors who are elected in Democratic states They do sometimes, yes, refer to themselves as the Libertarian candidates and stuff, but they are not out there, I think, uniformly as standard bearers for the Libertarian Party. It's well known that when people vote for a particular candidate, it doesn't mean that they themselves, they see themselves as a Democrat, as a Republican. In fact, we've seen an Arizona paper endorse Hillary Clinton this week. We know that they're not doing it because they've suddenly become Democrats, right? So – I would think that particularly this year and in the context of these horrible, unethical candidates that we're presented with from the two leading parties, that nobody in their right mind should take a vote for Gary Johnson and Bill Weld as support for anything the Libertarian Party necessarily generally is Going for, but particularly not the anarchist, right? These two guys are not anarchists; they're far from it. And in fact, a lot of the complaints have been on, you know, issues like you were saying. That's really unfortunate that they removed from the platform the non-initiation of force principle. That's what you said,
2: Stuart. Well, I'm not sure, but that they they were debating about that. Okay, if it's still there, it almost got removed.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously there's some things where Gary Johnson has been talking about maintaining a an existing level of government interference for example in anti-discrimination law and stuff and this has been a huge problem for his candidacy vis-a-vis some of the libertarians so he's the farthest from it so i just i do not see that anybody if you ask them oh you know does this person's vote for Gary Johnson mean that they endorse the platform and the ideology of the Libertarian Party, I think almost everybody would this year particularly would say no. And so then the question is, given that we all kind of understand that that's where this year is, would it then still help the Libertarian Party in the long run? Is helping the Libertarian Party a little bit in the long run a very bad thing? What would it amount to? These are the kind of questions that people are answering but what I, what I see with Schwartz is you know okay you've got at the root of the libertarian party this anarchist ideology it's maybe still there not completely eradicated you know the difference that makes the difference between the libertarian party and the other parties is that there is sort of this ideological root of anarchy and if you vote for Johnson Wells you're going to be in some way reinforcing that but I don't see that the argument goes through in a contextless way. I think that you do really need to look at the context. And like I said, particularly this year, the options that we're being given are so bad. These candidates are moral abominations. And, you know, for, for me, I I would respect people saying no, you know, I believe that the reinforcement given to the anarchist root of libertarianism is just too much, and I couldn't vote for Johnson Weld, so if I'm going to do a protest vote, I'm going to write somebody in. Uh, somebody in the chat room said they were going to write me in. That's, that's flattering. That's awesome. Um, I think this would be the first election cycle ever where somebody would, would write me in. Uh, maybe I should write myself in just for I don't know, whatever. I don't know, but you know, I with either voting for Johnson Weld these guys are actually qualified to do this job. I certainly want to see them in the debates. It's really interesting to me and kind of exciting to me that you've got major newspapers across the country endorsing these guys. Um, it's it's a very different election cycle. And one thing I want to look at in a minute is the the reasons for the endorsement. But, uh, Stuart, I was going to throw it back to you and see if you want to say anything more about this debate and this issue before i go on
2: um yes um so i've been talking with this guy on twitter named ivan McGowan. i i apologize to him if he's hearing this because i probably mispronounced his name but he pointed out to me that in it's in fewer than i think fewer than 30, 40 states allow write-in votes and most of them have very have have these rules in place to strike down your write-in vote only I think fewer than seven of them will allow your write-in vote to go in and become uncontested. The others are controlled by the Democrats and Republicans. They have all these rules in place to strike down your write-in vote. So Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a very viable option. And also, um, I really like Melissa Joan Hart, the actress. Um, So she's not an anarchist ideologue at all. She's famous for her show Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and she's actually a fan of yours and Gary's. Because I noticed on Twitter she follows Ayn Randbot. Bot, okay. She's joined, the, she's joined the Gary Johnson campaign, and she when she comes out and talks about it, she doesn't say, "Oh, I'm for anarchy or all of that." She says, "says She's so tired of the two-party system, and people assuming you either have to be with Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump." And she wants people to know they have other choices. So, I excellent. I, my my thinking is is if non anarchist succeed in this hostile takeover of of the libertarian party i don't mind supporting the libertarian party
1: right right and and that's the thing i mean you know what is it going to do for the long-run education campaign that we need to do in order to, to save the country clearly the libertarian party doesn't have the proper philosophical foundation For the correct form of government That's the conflict here But at this point in time During this election It could still be the the right Decision to to Vote libertarian So um, thanks Stuart for calling in What I want to do is I'm going to go ahead And, and go into uh, Chip Joyce's post on this issue In, in a second here Feel free to wow. hang on and then and yeah, if At a certain point you want to jump back in later Just let me know there in the chat room I've got a couple other calls as well that I might take So thanks, thanks again Stuart um, Okay let me run over To just finish off What Peter Schwartz had said That would be his You know the time that he would go ahead And vote libertarian Because he doesn't say he would never vote libertarian But he wants to have An explicit disavowal Of anarchism in the libertarian platform before he would do it he said he would consider voting for a libertarian candidate all that is needed is for the party to issue a statement along the following lines quote we disavow our past ties to intolerance of anarchism we hereby proclaim our repudiation of anarchism because it contradicts the principle of individual rights we now regard government not as a necessary evil but as a necessary good so long as it restricts itself to its proper function of defending its citizens against all threats of force, domestic or foreign, end quote. And he says, until and unless that happens, my vote will go elsewhere. And then the debate about, you know, about this whole issue is whether that's the right approach. Do you say, unless and until you see an explicit rejection of anarchism in the libertarian platform, that you wouldn't go there? The alternative point of view is presented pretty uh, eloquently here by Chip Joyce. He's a Facebook friend of mine, and he's put the statement out there publicly. So I went ahead and linked to it in the blog at don'tletitgo.com. It's a Facebook post, so if you have to at least probably be on Facebook to see it, but it's available publicly, so anybody can go ahead and take a look at it. He calls it my loser presidential candidate, and he says, you know. How is it that I'm going to be voting for someone that I disagree with? I don't like his party, the platform, and I know he's going to lose. Why would I do this? He says, because I think Hillary and Trump are dishonest, vicious, contemptible, and dangerous people. He says, I am terrified of people who only admit to half of that truth and approve of one of these candidates. I am suspicious of their motives. I wonder if they really want the dishonesty, corruption, curtailment of freedom and destruction their candidate will deliver. He says, voting for one versus the other as a desperate attempt to stop whomever you think is less evil and dangerous is slightly understandable. He says, though I would never cast a vote for an evil person, normally I would abstain in such a situation. Abstaining for a reason is as meaningful as voting. He says, there are good arguments to never support the Libertarian Party. They are lenient of anarchism and isolationism, for example. And, you know, those are the things that short-sighted. He says, but that does not matter to me, not this election cycle. Here's why. So he's saying that there is a context that's going on here that is unique, and you should change your mind about this. He says, the party platform, the party and platform don't matter. He says, Johnson Weld are not of the party, but moderate outsiders and misfits to the party. And that's a lot of what I was just talking about with Stuart. Uh, Joyce says, a fantasy victory would not advance the Libertarian Party's principles. It might even be the mainstreaming of their party, much to the chagrin of their ideologues. And that's kind of what I was saying there, too. You know, what would you take this as a sign of, that everyone's embracing liber excuse me, anarchy? No, people are not embracing anarchy. And, you know, it shows you that once you have a pair of candidates who have government experience, And they have respect for the proper role of government the necessary role of government. And if those people are winning for the first time as a libertarian candidate, it's uh, not necessarily going to help. And I think it's not just a win. He says a fantasy victory would not advance the principles. I think also a good showing short of a fantasy victory, a better showing than they've ever had, an election would not advance. The anarchist principles of the Libertarian Party anyway, there's a good chance of that. Why? Because everybody, I think, understands why a lot of voters are considering voting for Johnson Weld this election, and they know that it's not because we love anarchy. We don't. We want people who truly believe in limited government and who aren't corrupt and who aren't dishonest. Uh, Number two for Joyce. He says the vast majority of sympathetic voters for Johnson's campaign are not supportive of the Libertarian Party but are voting for the basic position of limited government and liberalism. He says they realize both, I'm skipping a little they realize both parties are not supportive of what used to be mainstream politics in this country. He says the message is one of the parties better represent us better or we shall find an alternative. You hear that? So he says the message that would be sent is not We embrace the Libertarian Party, but these other parties are not representing us at all, and we are willing to find an alternative. We're not necessarily going to latch on to the Libertarian Party long term, but as long as the Libertarian Party is presenting these two qualified, congenial candidates that are head and shoulders above the other two, then, hey, we'll be happy to vote for them. You know, there is no brand loyalty right now. There is no brand loyalty. We've got an Arizona newspaper that's always endorsed Republicans suddenly endorsing Hillary Clinton. We'll get to that in a a minute. Third, says Joyce, young voters are repelled by the insidious political parties and their candidates. He says they were lured to Bernie because of idealism. And he says, you know, what you get with Bernie is more cronyism and corruption. It's the opposite. He says they were foolish, but he says don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. In their very flawed and inadequate way to young voters in particular, Johnson and Weld are giving a voice to an alternative idealism of limited government. He says the last thing we should want is to extinguish this weak and tiny spark. We need it to feed the flame. So his position is that you can First of all, not take you know you don't have to take any vote for Johnson Weld or any success that Johnson Weld has as endorsement of anarchism. Instead, it is young people basically wanting the government to get out of their way, to not meddle in their lives. They don't necessarily understand the meddling in the economy as being bad, but they do understand the meddling in their personal lives. As being bad and they know that Johnson Weld are so-called social liberals so you know he thinks that whatever you're going to get in terms of a spark of reinforcement for the pro-freedom movement that we can help to steer it in the right direction with education that it's not going to be a step back in our educational mission because you're suddenly going towards anarchism. How does Joyce conclude? He says, we are entering dark times. The next president will be a disaster. He says, I think it is no exaggeration to say we are witnessing the fast destruction of the republic and freedom. I personally will not vote for my destroyer. And I think both Hillary and Trump are destroyers. Abstaining is perfectly valid, but I think the non-libertarian libertarian ticket is a safe and constructive protest vote. So that is Joyce's position. And again, I'd be interested to hear yours. I'm going to go ahead and grab a couple other calls that I saw on the switchboard here. Let me take this one first. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this?
0: Uh, Hello, this is Waldo.
1: Waldo. Welcome. How are you?
0: Oh, uh, I'm doing well. Thanks. Uh, First time calling. So I guess I'm kind of nervous. Uh, but um, I was very interested that we were that you were talking about uh, Gary Johnson and whether we should or shouldn't vote for him because mm-hmm. I'm sort of debating, like, I, I feel like what we have right now is this, like, false dichotomy between Democrats and Republicans and people say, like, people on either side think the other side is evil and ours is good versus what it really is. They're just both authoritarian parties. So neither one of them is good, but they, they somehow think like, oh, I'm going to vote for my guy. My guy is good because the other side is always evil, when they're just both a mix of evil ideas and good ideas, overwhelmingly evil ideas. But they do all have some good ideas in either party. But I feel like voting for the Libertarian Party uh, is saying, like, we do not accept these evil ideas. They are too evil to support even if there is a good idea lodged in there somewhere. Well and Yeah, so let me,
1: yeah. let me let me play a little devil's advocate with you. And not necessarily devil's advocate, you know, it's just a matter of expression. But you know, I, I can I can be sympathetic in a way with, with Schwartz's argument, right? Because you could say, look, and, and this is the way that Johnson and Weld, you know, they they present themselves. They say, look, we've basically got the best of the good ideas of both parties in our platform, right? Uh, We're going to leave you free in the, in the bedroom and, you know, your pocketbooks, right? That's the thing that they keep throwing around there. And that gives you, you know, just sort of a shorthand for the the constellation of positions that the Libertarian party holds. But so then what Schwartz would come back and say is he'd say, okay, yeah, there's everyone is excited. There's all these attractive positions that these Libertarian (laughs) candidates stand for, However, they're packaging it together with this anarchist root of the libertarian platform. If you dig deep, behind it is this attitude that government is at best a necessary evil and perhaps even unnecessary, according to libertarians. So, you know, it's it's dangerous. It's more dangerous to you know, sort of um, associate yourself with a party who that is, that is mixed and got the, you know, so many of the right ideas, but one really wrong idea, which is anarchism. What do you think about that?
0: Um, I would say that to the general population, they wouldn't see that like anarchist route of the libertarian party. They're just facing like this decision and of picking the president and gary johnson as you have said previously in the podcast he does not represent that anarchist root at all so i feel like that divorces it in a way and i and what i feel like is that these two parties are beyond recovery they are lost and there's no way that any good idea in them can be grabbed and like somehow use it to destroy all the bad ideas in these parties so but whether it's like in the Democrat par- Party, you have uh, sort of like sexual liberty, uh, freedom of choice, but then uh, there's like government intervention and everywhere else in, in your life versus the Republican side. has um, uh, You have absolutely no sexual freedom, no freedom of religion, and but somehow the economy is free or they pretend that it is.
1: Um, yeah, it's, it, a lot of it is pretense for both of the parties in both of the realms that you've been talking about lately, right?
0: Right. So it's a pretense, and they they can't escape it. There's no way that someone who is good and believes in freedom can enter the party and somehow flip the switch on all the bad ideas and only leave the good ones on. So I feel like the Libertarian Party is the closest thing that you that people can align themselves with and transform it into something different that is a viable alternative. To these two other authoritarian parties
1: and and you would agree
0: well you know one.
1: yeah it but but you know it's it's the it's the bad idea that Schwartz argues and I think effectively that is at the root you know it, it's kind of the fundamental or it has been the fundamental I mean there's two things that you would see that are bad at the libertarian party, which is that they're either unprincipled defenders of so-called liberty, which is a foggy term for them, or, you know, they're for anarchy as the only way to protect individual rights. And, and both of those things are, are dangerous for their own reasons. Would you agree, though, Although that, you know, again, the voting for a candidate is not at all an endorsement of a party? or its ideas and that everybody would understand that particularly this year.
0: Um, I agree. I agree with that because I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of people are voting against candidates. So it's almost like they are saying that it's not like I'm voting for that, that party. I'm voting against that particular candidate sort of uh, situation. Like I've heard that from so many people and, but I feel like this is the moment, like, I feel like the whole system Of the two-party system is set up in a way to not allow for another alternative to happen and Mm -hmm. they both collude with each other to make it so like the debates are the debate is actually these presidential debates are are the committee of Democrats and Republicans like they're obviously make it as hard as possible to allow any alternative to show up and actually speak their mind and and show people like, oh, you don't have to pick between A and B, you can pick A, B or C. Um, And I think this is the chance that we have, like the Libertarian Party is the only party that is like, it'd be so hard to create a new party from scratch to stand up to these other two parties. I think that the Libertarian one is the party that can be molded into a viable alternative once people see like these are our two horrible choices, like we have to create an alternative. Yeah.
1: I mean, it, it least, at least, at least it's have. early enough. It's, it's early enough that people could explore that, you know, could you work within the libertarian party to get it, for example, to issue a statement along the lines of, of what Schwartz says. Now, when I was just talking with Stuart, he made it very clear. He's out there publicly endorsing Gary Johnson. I assume he plans to vote for Gary Johnson, of course, himself and, He's starting to perhaps convince me, but what about you? So you're going to vote for Johnson? You think?
0: Right. I mean, so there's no chance for me to vote for either Trump or Hillary unless right. some catastrophe happens. So I understand. So give me an
1: example. <laughs> give me, give me an example that would make you vote for one versus the other, and which one would um, it be? And stuff. Give me, give me the scenario. There was, uh,
0: like the catastrophe would be something like there is a horrible uh, Islamic terrorist attack wherein a building gets blown up and falls down or something horrible. I mean, attacking.
1: what about all this stuff and that then, just went on in New Jersey and New York and the malls and, you know?
0: But people this, can easily ignore these things. I mean, it's horrible. but they
1: No, can, but you, somehow you don't, you the don't ignore them. them. You don't ignore them, right? You, you know that the writing is on the wall out there. And in fact, I can't remember. I think it was, it was maybe Jay Johnson recently some statement about you know there's gonna be a what is it like a diaspora of you know hostile Muslims immigrating here I can't remember what it was but it's like it's just a fact of life that more of this is going to happen and our government is just trying to prepare us to sit by and accept the fact that they are not defending us
0: um, well I, I well I would say was is it's come to like, because Trump says, like, oh, no, we're not going to allow any Muslims into the country. But then he, like, will oh, backtrack on that or it's unclear. He's exactly. never clear with whatever he means. So that's why, I mean, like, it would have to take something really catastrophic like that, where it's like he would then have to, he would have to stand by what he just said about not letting Muslims into the country. I mean, think, think about then this, then think about this though, right? Like
1: think about this. Think about this. So, uh, you know, the way, the way that I am hearing the calculation running in your mind is this. Horrible tragedy. You know, I don't even want to say tragedy. Tragedy is what I reserve to the stuff that I was talking about in the beginning, with the uh, the woman who who lost her life to drugs. Um, you know, the, an atrocity committed. It's so a horrible atrocity is committed, and then you say, okay, there's a small chance that Trump is going to make good on this kind of woozy promise that he's made to keep out all the dangerous Muslim terrorists, right? Good. But think about this. Johnson has also explicitly promised to do background checks, and he has talked about the fact that one of the first things that he would do as president is call a meeting with the FBI and find out what happened, for example, with the Orlando shooter, right? Um, Wouldn't you trust Johnson more to follow through on the very concrete plans that he has laid out to do a proper screening of people. Yeah, he's going to have more open immigration, but he is also talking about doing background checks and screening. And he's a person who's open to argument and seems to have a decent head on his shoulders. Wouldn't you trust him to handle the problem more than Trump?
0: Um, so two points. I haven't heard him talk about that, but so maybe I just haven't been paying enough attention. I, haven't, I basically have not heard him say very much about Muslim i've heard i've heard him say those things i've he heard him it. say those
3: things myself All right, so no.
0: if that's the case then yeah i would then reconsider it not voting for trump and in, in case this uh atrocity hypothetical happens um so i'm i would still uh, that would put me back on the gary johnson cap in this hypothetical um situation um I mean, you're you're still going
1: to you're still going to have a Ted Cruz in the Senate who this week I didn't stick it in the program notes, but Cruz was out there exposing the so-called screening process that's currently being used when they're bringing refugees in the country and how pathetic it is. They essentially take these people's own word as to whether they're a threat to us. Right. And, you know, that's
0: just not. So I'm all for a type of open immigration system when everything is checked and uh, verified, and making sure that you know these people are not dangerous and they do not right. hold ill will towards the country. Yep. Uh, and, so.
1: And and yeah, Johnson I mean, is promising to do that, and someone like Ted Cruz would help to hold accountable who you know whomever is elected. Uh, Anything else, Waldo, before I go? Oh, go ahead. The the most important
0: thing that I think about voting for Gary Johnson is because, like, okay, a lot of people say they would want to do a protest vote or something like that. But, like, writing uh, someone, some random person's name that they like into it will not register, I think, as a protest vote. Like, you need to write in a a candidate like I would never vote for Jill Stein, but someone like her or Gary Johnson, because then you would see the number, like that percentage number, and that would clearly send a bigger message. If you're trying to send a message, that would send yeah. A I mean, message if, if if we like, started a big you're movement,
1: opposed. yeah. If if we started a big movement in advance and said, OK, everybody who wants the protest vote, who believes in a government limited to the protection of individual rights, let's all write John Galt. You know, there is no right. John Galt. Yeah. <laughs> right. And 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 suddenly, you know, they find that there's I mean, let, let's have a wild fantasy. Three percent of the country. Right. Three. That's a pretty wild fantasy. I think three percent of the yeah. country is right in John Galt. <laughs> That would be amazing, and that would send a message. But I think you're right. You know, Some people are going to write in Pellegrino. A couple of people are going to write in Me, I'm flattered. Maybe that's not going to have an effect. And, Stuart, I'm going to have to research more into what he was saying about how none of those are even going to end up getting communicated through due to the power of the other parties or something like that. So that maybe if you want to cast a protest vote, the only way to really do it is by voting for Johnson. So we've got to explore some more. Anything else, Waldo, before uh, I go on? I've got uh, one other caller.
0: No, like thank you so much for uh, having me on your show. I listen to it every week, so I, and I like it a lot. So thank you so much for everything you do.
1: Thank you for listening and, and continuing to support the show and, and for calling in and participating. I appreciate it. We'll talk again.
0: Okay. All right. Have a great day. Bye.
1: You too. Bye. Take care. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and grab another person who has been patiently waiting. Hi, you're on the show. Who's this?
3: Uh, hi Amy it's Harold.
1: Hi Harold. So what do you think? Have you been All listening right, to my little debate here about vote for Gary Johnson yeah. or no? Yes.
3: Yeah, I've been I've been having that little debate with myself as well. Like yes mm-hmm. or no on Gary Johnson. The other two are not even on my radar.
1: And um, and and you and I you and I have not spoken since Ted Cruz did his thing. What did you think of that? We,
3: um <sighs> I, I think he's just keeping his name alive. He's doing a Trump, you know, just get your name in the press, nothing mm. more than that. Stay, uh, stay alive. What, what? I, I'm taking a bit of a pragmatic approach here. Um, firstly, I just want to just have some random stuff on on Hillary and Donald. It'll take a few seconds. Um, there was a press conference with uh, uh, Bill Weld and Gary Johnson. They were talking, and someone asked them about Trump, and then. Gary uh, William Weld, he like rubs his his body language, he kind of combs his hand through his hair. He's got real hair. (laughs) And he says, under Donald Trump's wig, he's bald as an egg. And, you know, and Donald Trump is seriously obese. I mean, he's like ridiculous. You know, his numbers are, he's not healthy. And then that's, so that's that. Um, On on Hillary, I've been. After a couple of months of not paying attention, I've started to pay attention. I've been watching the videos about her health issues, and I've been actually spending time looking at all these things, and Mm -hmm. she has some serious, serious neurological issues. I am certain of it.
1: How do you think she did so well during the debate, though? Because I watched it, and I didn't see any sign of that there.
3: She She had a little box in her back with a cable with a drip injector on her. They drugged her up for 90 minutes. But you have wow. got to go. You've got to go and see the videos of her. She cannot walk up stairs. Remember that joke I made about them. See how fast they can climb up steps. She cannot even climb one step. Her balance is out. It's a neurological thing. She cannot climb steps without people helping her up. She has fallen. And the reason she fell is because because of her balance, and neurological, she gets into a brain freeze and she falls down and she doesn't realize she's falling and so she just carries on falling until she hits her head. And that's happened several times. So I am just very concerned about her, not ideologically, just from a purely mental, physical health point of view. I, I think she's done. and And people know it. The Democrats who go to her her meetings, they know it. They can see it. They're they're live. That cannot be hidden. Right. And they're just covering for her, but she won't be running the the country if she's president. There'll be some committee behind the scenes that that runs it for her. She's just the face. Well, and that's
1: that's true of Trump as well. And I mean, anybody who's voting for Trump is halfway hoping that he is going to hire all these great people that he keeps talking about. The best people, the best people, Right. So so what's, what's your qualm then uh, with voting for Gary Johnson who seems actually really genuinely healthy and has experience and et cetera?
3: Um, I, I don't have a problem with him. He just seems a little weak to me, personality-wise. Mm-hmm. It's more of a style of a substance. Yep. I know he's I know he's a liberal republican and that's fine and and he's an, he's a secular he's like a secular conservative and so is William Weld which is both pluses in my mind. I like both those things. I'm very concerned about where they will be with respect to Japan and Korea and supporting uh, our military commitments out there because at least on paper Hillary is more conservative than either Donald Trump or um or the libertarians on that issue.
1: One thing I do know is that Johnson has talked about the threat from North Korea as being the most significant threat that we're facing right now. So he does take it seriously. This I know.
3: Okay. Well, if if that's the case, from a pragmatic point of view and a practical politics point of view, I would say go ahead, get the libertarians up to 10%, and – at least they'll be on the radar. I, I am absolutely against throwing away one vote and two votes here and there because of the information handling. Those votes will never get reported, so it has to be all c- correlated into a single direction. And, and throwing you and the other thing is, if the libertarians get stronger, they'll draw additional people in. Some of the Tea Party will come in, the Ayn Rand supporters will come in, and we can go inside and change the party I mean, if you don't show up for the libertarian convention, then you can't have then all the nuts show up, and if you can just outnumber them and just swamp them, then you can start changing the party so okay if so we, you, if we can, you think
1: there's a possibility even of you know reforming the libertarian party from within
3: I think we can do it, but we've got to show up. The other thing is uh the Republicans, if the libertarians get up to like ten percent uh the republicans are going to start co-opting some of the li- libertarian platform to try to pull the support back so in a, w- in a way you, you you cause an indirect uh, effect there by doing right. that. Right,
1: and I think you, you and I have talked a bit about that before too and it, it's not like the republicans are suddenly going to become anarchists, that's what they're going to grab, they're going to grab the stuff that has succeeded from the Johnson Well ticket, right?
3: Right, they'll only do it if there's pressure, real competition yep. And there's nothing wrong with us going into the Libertarian Party and taking it over. We can do that at any time we choose to, but we can only do it if we actually want to, and then we get organized. So, And and I, I'm starting a new capitalist party, which I have a better name for it, much shorter. But that's a big job. The Libertarian Party has been around for 45 years. It's a lot easier just to go in and rebrand it, just take it over and rebrand it. And uh, you can then change the name later on if you want. You, know, you can just
0: okay. you know, just say
3: that we we're changing the name to the Capitalist Party, and meanwhile you you pull up the whole structure, you throw out the anarchists, and you you know the hostile takeover. That, that's what I'm thinking.
1: Hostile takeover, which couldn't of be done by party. by Gary Johnson because he's not the slightest bit hostile as far as <laughs> I've ever seen. Right?
3: No, no, I don't think he has the the abilities to do that. Uh, um, the other thing, um, you know, Yaron Brook always says, oh, I, I would run for president, but I'm not born here, well, right. that, which got me thinking about you. I know you're not political. I know that's not your, your thing, but you could. I mean, you, you have enough gravitas to actually do it. I mean, I, it would take a whole bunch of your time and your life, and you know, I'm not sure you're ready to do it, but you could do it if you wanted to and, well, and, and be effective.
1: It's 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 nothing that I would completely rule out. I would need to I I would say get up to speed on a lot more that politicians need to be up to speed on in order to do it. Obviously, I was born in the United States, so that makes me more qualified from that one perspective than you're on So you know whether there is any political future for me. Obviously, I'm young enough to still go out and try and do it. We. You know, we'll have to see it in the future. Is it going to be through the Libertarian Party or maybe the American Capitalist Party? Maybe the American Capitalist Party eventually get folded into and become the root of the Libertarian Party. This is a fantasy for the future, right? There's a lot uh, of budget. ways to go. Yeah. So, so, you're, um, so you're, you're thinking, yes, vote for Gary Johnson, get up to 10 percent, that there are positive directions to go from there, that we would not be reinforcing anarchy by doing so.
3: Well, you're going to pull the Tea Party people in. But they're going to start coming, and they're going to just show up. You, you know, they they're quiet, they're silent, but they're there, and they're going to start showing up. But we have to have an explicit message that this is not a right-wing religious thing. If if you are, right. then go back to the Republican Party. You want a church? That's the Republican Party. You know, they they're they're in service every day. You know, you can go pray there every day.
1: Exactly. Well, thank you, Harold, for calling. I'm going to go ahead and do my last minute run through of all the program notes that I haven't gotten to because I've talked with all you lovely people. But uh, I do appreciate your call. Okay. He went ahead and hung up before I could even click the little button. He knows the drill. Okay. So let me go back over to the blog at DontLetItGo.com. Again, DontLetItGo.com is the place where you would subscribe if you want to follow and keep up with news on the show. Which as I said, there's exciting stuff coming about moving to terrestrial radio, perhaps switching the schedule within the next couple of weeks. So go to don'tletitgo.com and subscribe. But right now go to don'tletitgo.com because you can see the rest of the program notes that I have. I do have Gary Johnson's a link to his own op ed at New York Times. Take a deep, deep breath voters. He says there is a third way. And when you read him there, yes, he does say I'm the head of the Libertarian Party or the head of the ticket for the Libertarian Party. But when he's talking about the substantive issues, he doesn't sound anything like a crazy anarchist, not at all. Um, So do check that out. The other things to check out there are the endorsements. I put a number of the links to the different endorsements. We've got an Arizona newspaper saying Hillary Clinton is the only choice to move America ahead. They decided when they thought that Donald Trump was unqualified to go to that other, you know, kind of never, never land, which is to endorse Hillary Clinton. But we have a couple of major papers, one in Detroit and one in Chicago, Chicago, Chicago Tribune even, is now uh, endorsing. Gary Johnson, the libertarian for president. But if you read them, and I looked over both of those endorsements, if you read them, they are not endorsing them, quote, as libertarians. Uh, They say, no, what we've got to do is we have to rebuke the Republican and the Democrat parties. And they talk about why you can't vote for either of those two. And then they say, uh, let me go down to where they have their... Endorsement Um, So we say we turn to candidates We can recommend One party, this is quoting from Chicago Tribune's Endorsement, they say one party has Two moderate Republicans Right? Two moderate Republicans Veteran governors Who successfully led Democratic states Atop its ticket Libertarians Gary Johnson of New Mexico And running mate William Weld Of Massachusetts are agile Practical And unlike the major party candidates, experience at managing governments. Tribune continues, they offer an agenda that appeals not only to the Tribune's principles, but to those of many Americans who say they are socially tolerant, but fiscally responsible. Quote, most people are libertarian. Johnson told the Tribune editorial board when he and Weld met with us in July. It's just that they don't know it. And then the Tribune goes on to say theirs is small l libertarianism built on individual freedom and convinced that at both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue, official Washington is clumsy, expensive, and demonstrably unable to solve this nation's problems. This is not an assertion of anarchy by the Tribune, by the way. So they speak of reunifying an America now balkanized into two identity and economic groups and of avoiding their opponents' bullying behavior and sanctimonious lectures. Johnson and Weld are even-keeled, provided they aren't discussing the injustice of trapping young black children in this nation's worst-performing schools. On that and other galling injustices, they're animated. See, that's perfect, you know, that they are animated about the worst injustices. They say, we reject the cliche that a citizen who chooses a principled third-party candidate is squandering his or her vote. Look at the number of fed-up Americans telling pollsters they clamor for alternatives to Trump and Clinton. What we're recommending will appeal less to people who think tactically than to conscientious Americans so infuriated that they want to send a message about the failings of the major parties and their candidate. Put short, we offer this endorsement to encourage voters who want to feel comfortable with their choice, who want to vote for someone they can admire. And then they go on to talk about Johnson's personal experience and character. They talk about the debt and he says, this, Then at the end they say, this year, neither major party presents a good option. So the Chicago Tribune today endorses Libertarian Gary Johnson for president. Every American who casts a vote for him is standing for principles and can be proud of that vote. Yes, proud of a candidate in 2016. So They aren't casting it as support for a Libertarian Party. They are explicitly mentioning that these were two former Republican governors who led Democratic states. The other endorsement that's interesting and worth noting is from the USA Today's editorial board. They conclude Trump is unfit for the presidency so that they cannot endorse him, but do they actually go ahead and endorse Anybody else? I guess they're just saying anti-Trump. Does that mean you're going to go pro-Johnson or pro-Hillary? Let me see. What do they say about uh, Trump here? He's erratic, ill-equipped to be commander-in-chief, traffics in prejudice, checkered business career, isn't leveling with the American people, speaks rec- recklessly. He has coarsened the national dialogue. Hear, here. He's a serial liar. They say Nor does this editorial represent unqualified support for Hillary Clinton She has her own flaws They do not have a consensus for a Clinton endorsement So where does it leave us The bottom line advice is stay true to your convictions That might mean a vote for Clinton The most plausible alternative Or it might mean a third party candidate Or a write-in Or focus on down ballot, ballot candidates They're saying go ahead and abstain Whatever you do Resist the siren song of a dangerous demagogue, by all means vote, just not for Trump. The most interesting endorsement season ever, probably, but there's people who have a historical perspective on this stuff that might be able to comment better. But, you know, when you have learned about some of these endorsements, it's unprecedented, for example, for the Arizona paper, it's Arizona Central, to endorse a Democrat, and also I think unprecedented for those other two papers to not endorse the Republican. So these are big things. The other part of the show title was about voters, right? So I've got voters included there in my little acronym title. And the thing I want you to know about that is we have people who are not qualified to vote voting. One story Coming from Front Page Magazine, Daniel Greenfield. He has dug up the fact that the non citizen Muslim mall terrorist has illegally voted three times, not just one, not twice, but three, writes Greenfield. But remember, voter ID is racist, it discriminates against illegal voters. Says we're talking about the Turkish Muslim mall terrorist in Washington, not the Somali Muslim mall shooter in Minnesota. He says, we're getting so much Muslim terror these days that it takes work to keep it all straight. And that's true. And that's another reason to be concerned about the stuff that Ted Cruz revealed this week about the screening process. Anyway, the the Cascade Mall shooting suspect uh, can face an additional investigation related to his voting record and citizenship status. He's not a U.S. citizen legally cannot vote. However, the state records show that he registered to vote in 2014 and participated in three election cycles including the presidential primary. Gee, I wonder who he voted for. I bet it wasn't Trump. So that's one thing to think about, that we have people illegally voting. Those are who are alive and non-citizens are able to register to vote, and that's disturbing. The other thing That is also quite disturbing Is that there's this trend Of dead people voting And I've got a story at Dontletitgo.com, a link to a Colorado Story talking about a number Of dead people Who voted, who've been voting For years after The death has been documented on Their birth certificates Voter ID is something we probably should do I saw a New York Times headline this morning I couldn't include it But they were lamenting, there are thousands of People who are waiting to become citizens and they want to vote this year, but they're not going to be able to. Thousands, a few thousand, whatever, are not going to make a lot of difference in an election, but maybe in a very close swing state, it could. The people who are waiting to become citizens right now, are they largely Democrat? That's something else we could think about. I've got very little time left. I do have some more interesting stories over at the blog, don'twetatgo.com, Steve Rishens at Twitter. Uh, We've got uh, the UN declaring that the U.S. owes black people reparations for a history of racial terrorism, you know, because all white people living today owe all black people living today for things that were done decades and hundreds of years ago, right? Hate graffiti spray-painted on wall and in yards. Kill all white people has been out there. And then there's this horrible nihilistic trend called sex roulette parties. I will leave you to read that for yourself. Like I said, go to don'tletitgo.com if you want to follow me. There's a place to follow the blog. You can also follow me on the various social media outlets Facebook, I'm Amy Peacock. I've got the Don't Let It Go on her page on Facebook. I've got Amy Peacock on Twitter and Don't Let It Go on Instagram. Everyone have as good a weekend as possible, and uh, be safe, take care, and we'll talk again next week.